Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. Welcome along. Thank you to Christo. Back with you tomorrow morning, same time. Paul Dunford is out there. Poor soul. Is in. His lorry broke down. Been sitting there waiting for ages. Freezing cold. He's only got a pair of shorts on in anticipation of winter. And uh, anyway, now I think, I think it's actually been sort of sorted out. His brakes went. And the one thing you can't have if you're driving a, a big lorry... He said, is, uh, is when the brakes go. So, uh, fingers crossed, everything is all right for young Paul, who, as you know, runs the Hinge and Bracket website. So, uh, what do you think is on the front page of the papers? Don't need me to tell you, because Christo's just told you. It's Foxy Noxy, Amanda Knox, all the way through. And, um, and she's destined to make millions, I would think, out of this. I should imagine she'll pop up on Oprah Winfrey, Good Morning America. She'll be on everything. She'll be on absolutely everything. The, uh, the family of, uh, of Meredith Kircher... Uh, have said that they've really battled against this media campaign by Amanda Knox's family, who, it turns out, uh, are not short of a bob or two, and it's overshadowed the death of their daughter, which I think is a, is a great shame, because at the end of this, you have to realise, all right, so somebody spent time in prison for a crime they, they did not commit. But at the end of the day, you've got the family of Meredith Kircher, who are... Who are They've, they've got nothing at the end of it. And they've said that people seem to have forgotten about their, their daughter and the horrible way in which she died. Well, we haven't. So there you go. Uh, apart from that, it was the Pride of Britain Awards last night. Uh, I did not go. Nick Ferrari went, I believe. Nick Ferrari went there. And um, all was very good. The good and the great. Uh, and the, the not-so-great. Cheryl Cole turned up, which was lovely. And Amy Childs turned up. Uh, for what reason, I've got no idea. But she does have, as we told you on this programme ages ago, a new Channel 5 reality show showing, showing her in her little salon with her funny little simple girl voice. And she said, I want people to see the real me. We've seen the real you, dear. <laughs> what is it with people saying, I want people to see the real me? I don't quite understand. We had it from Kerry Katona. You know, this is, this is me and it's like my kids. And it's, and you, why do they keep saying that? We know what the real you is. We know what the real Kerry Katona is. Vile. You know, and we know what Amy Childs is. Simple. You know, troweled on makeup and something that should go in front of a makeover or have a make under, I think, to make it better. But they all turned up and then I was talking to somebody and I cannot reveal too much. But which two members of EastEnders, the younger members of the cast, were snogging their faces off in the back of the car this morning on the way home? Which two members? And then I mentioned to Kevin Hughes, because I saw Kevin as he was going out the building. And, uh, and I mentioned these uh, two people from East Tennessee. He said, yes, he said, people were talking about that. I said, do you think it was drink? Because you know what they're like when, when they're young? They all sort of get a bit boozed up a little bit. And, um, and they were snogging in the back of the car. All I'll say is, he lives in Staines. OK, that's all I'll tell you. I don't need to say anything else in this particular instance. No doubt it will emerge in the newspapers a little bit later on. I have no copy this morning, Christo didn't have one either, of the Mirror. So I was, was quite looking forward to seeing the pictures that would emerge, because I'm assuming, as a lot of the pictures have got uh, Cheryl Cole on the front, uh, because she went out to entertain the troops, and it's a, it's a photo opportunity. It's a photo opportunity. I know that she did chat to, to Kevin Hughes... I like Kevin Hughes. You know, something about Kevin Hughes is very wholesome. He's just a nice person. He's a, you know, you meet nice people, and he's a, he's a nice person. So, uh, in the sun this morning, on the front pages, it's, uh, it's Cry Freedom, Amanda Knox sobbing in court. I did say it, 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 it wasn't just tongue-in-cheek. Most people come out of prison, they haven't done anything at all. She can speak fluent Italian. I don't know whether or not her Italian was good enough when she went in there, but she can do conversational, you know, big words and everything. And, and I think that's such a gift. We're so bone-idle in this country. We can't learn languages for toffee. 
Makes the Berlitz course or anything like that look a bit obsolete, I suppose, in some departments. You know, go and spend four years in prison. Or fellow that, go and live in a country for four years where people only speak the language of the country to you, and then you should emerge with some sort of conversational skills. Somebody said to me, it's hopeless trying to learn. You know, you go to a language school and you sit there and you put the headphones on, repeat after me, bonjour, bonjour, très bien, très bien. You know, and so it's, and in the end, I mean, I've, I've done it. We've all had the linguaphone courses, haven't we? Where you send off and back comes a case full of cassettes and you put them on and they're about 40 years old, the ones I had. <laughs> it sounded rubbish. I thought, I'm never going to learn anything this way. Go and live in a country and then, uh, then you learn how to, uh, to speak the language. Uh, pages and pages of, uh, of Noxie. Uh, also, the, the explanation of the sticky-fingered goalie. David Van Gia, Gia, I don't know what he's called, to be honest with you. I just know he's Spanish, and he's the one who uh, they think pinched the donut. Do you remember? He goes into the Tesco store, Tesco Express in Altering in Greater Manchester, and he picks up a, a donut. He goes in with a couple of other friends, and then he suddenly realises that he's left his wallet in the car, so he walks out. He says, I don't know what the fuss is about. Perhaps it's quite normal in Spain to sort of pick stuff up and then get, uh, walk out the shop to go to your car to pick up the wallet. That's what he told them anyway. And um, he says, um, uh, he didn't play football last weekend. He says, it's got nothing to do with that. They didn't stop me playing football for a stupid donut. And um, he says, it, it was just a huge under- misunderstanding. They thought I was leaving without paying. So I tried to explain to them, my English not so good. And uh, we were in there for a while. In the end, a Spanish girl arrived and we understood each other. And in the end, they ended up apologising to us. Yes, because they probably realised you had loads and loads of money. But it's a very good excuse, isn't it? I mean, call me cynical. But can't we all do it? I'm just walking out to the car with the trolley and I'm going to find my wallet. You know, as opposed to leaving the goods in the shop and going out, you take the goods out the shop. Well, that's when it becomes theft. Because unless you've paid for them, they're not yours. It doesn't matter whether you say, that's what I was going to do. I couldn't give a forex. I'm not remotely interested in that. We've all done it. You all go, oh, oh, I've left me wallet. You don't walk out the shop with something, do you? You leave it there. You put it to one side, hoping when you walk back in, it's, it's still going to be there. And you go to the car or wherever, and you pick up your wallet, and you come back inside again. I've never heard of anybody walking out with something and then going, I'm just going to, uh, to pick up the, um, uh, the wallet uh, to, to, to pay for it. But that's how, that's how some people work, I suppose, nowadays. Weather for today, I said it's on the, uh, it's on the turn. Yesterday was a lovely day, much cooler today. Cloud breaking through, some bright or sunny spells. Very breezy, don't mind breezy. High, 20 degrees. Yesterday, 29. Today, 20. Currently, 17, so it's not going to go much higher. Tonight, most parts cloudy. Odd spot of light rain or drizzle. Minimum 16 degrees. And tomorrow, cloudy, breezy, few bright spells. Uh, some rain in the afternoon, the high, 22 degrees. So it's, it's, a, it's a mizzy old week. By the time we get to Friday, we're down to 17 degrees which is actually up on what we were predicting yesterday, which was 14 degrees. Uh, Other stories of the papers today. Uh, TV questions from Ali Ross. Why isn't the Angelica Bell and Michael Underwood coupling billed as Angelica... I can't say it's too rude. Um, (laughs) I just realised, actually. But they are. They're they're, they're trying to sell them as a a sort of, this is the latest couple. And they're a bit naff, I'm afraid, really. And and will there be a Vanessa Feltz quiz show spin-off called Holding Out for an Aero? <laughs> uh, yes, there she was, huge woman out on the town the other night, still dragging around that handbag that is the uh, there's the other half, and uh, and then I watched Loose Women, and I didn't know anybody on there. I knew the panel, but I didn't know the guests were. Didn't help, was it? It was a chef. And to be honest with you, there's so many chefs on the television nowadays. I I just have no idea. And EastEnders, um, 
He who suddenly turns gay becomes a living saint. It's happened with Ben Mitchell presently, but Exhibit A is Saeed Mahmood, who, when he was straight, was a useless, lying, cheating, thick, bankrupt and untrustworthy waste of space. Since he's come out, he's like a cross between Nelson Mandela and Bill Gates. Wise, successful, faithful and honest. One word, of course, uh, for what EastEnders is doing here is prejudice. Another is stupid you know, because they're all popping out of the woodwork. There's more, there's more gays in EastEnders in this little tiny square than the rest of the country put together. I've no, you can't keep them quiet. Hello, I'd like to come out. Don't! Please go back inside again. Please go back inside and stay there. And uh, random irritations on the television. Poor old Toss Daly. Press the red button now. Shut up and go back to Bolton. And take your blooming... Because th- there's, there's a McFly bloke on the dancing on ice thing who's popping up everywhere uh, to the point of boredom. Because he turned up on Celebrity Family Fortunes. This is Harry Judd. He's only the drummer. He doesn't really contribute. He's, he just sits at the back. And not, you know, very nice, very sweet, but that's about it. And so he's turned up on this, this dancing programme. He turned up on Celebrity uh, celebrity Family Fortune thing, or whatever it's called. And then he turned up on, a, on another thing where it sort of might make a child, give a child a wish. He's popping up. He must have a good agent or something. Uh, Ali Al-Megrahi. Managed to come out of his deathbed scenario uh, to give an interview to the press. Strangely enough, not needing any oxygen at all for the duration of the interview. Yet only a short while ago, the family had to speak for him because he had no energy and and that, and that the truth will emerge. You just wait for the truth to emerge, don't you? So we know exactly what went on over over Lockerbie. Uh, Nancy Delolio, who's the pre-op... Backer a tribute act who employs the third person when she's speaking in her fluent gobbledygook. Nancy's very attractive, uh, nice looking, smart, intelligent, ha ha, and uh, most of all, she's quite funny. That's what he's written down here. Unfortunately, she's totally delusional. I mean, she's, she's the only woman who actually thinks that she's actually got some talent. Everybody else thinks she's blooming useless. She can't duck. She looks old and haggard. Not half as old and haggard as a picture that appears in the paper today on page 27 of The Sun. And it's the ghastly Jodie Marsh. Now, you remember how ghastly Jodie Marsh was in her called heyday when she turned up wearing, I think, a belt which masqueraded as a dress one time. I mean, cheap, tacky, tarty, and no talent whatsoever. And uh, here she is now. Guess what she's doing now? She's now a bodybuilder. And so looks equally disgusting, only this time she's dipped in chocolate brown. And uh, she luckily, uh, she went for um, the National Physique Association, British Championships, uh, at the weekend. And uh, I think that was held in Sheffield. God's own waiting room. And uh, she was up there and she did very well. She came fifth. So a uh, bit of a failure in that one, I'm afraid. They say busty glamour girl. She was always cheap and tacky, I'm afraid. And now she's a bodybuilder. She looks cheap, tack- tacky and definitely unattractive. I mean, I don't think bodybuilding for women is a good look. I don't think it is, Holly. Take it up at your peril. But it's just not the kind of thing. It's, well, you know, I'd, I'd like to be caring and offer this sort of advice. I wouldn't do it. I don't think you should do it. Amanda, of course, is a completely different story. She might have a, have a go at it. Quarter past five. These are the headlines. In Italy, Amanda Knox, the American found guilty of killing a British student almost four years ago, has been freed. A judge has also freed her boyfriend after deciding the evidence wasn't good enough. Knox is expected to fly back to Seattle later. The mayor unveils plans for so-called boot camps for young Londoners in a speech at the Conservative Party conference in Manchester later. He'll set out his plans to fund after-school leadership clubs as part of his response to the riots in London in August. And after months of waiting, we should find out about the new iPhone later. 
as well as what's being called a special event being held in London. A similar event is being held in California. Let's have a check on the road, shall we, for you this morning? Jay Louise. Thank you very much, Steve, and good morning. Starting on... Point three. Morning, everybody. Steve Allen's early breakfast, LBC 97.3, coming to you live from, from Leicester Square. Very exciting this morning. Forget the Blackberry and the iPod, although this morning at about six o'clock we're going to be getting a bit carried away, aren't we? We think they're going to launch, as Darren said yesterday, the Gadget Guru 2. There's details on the LBC website. We think there's the 4 and then we think the 5. The 4, I think, is going to be the slightly cheaper version and the 5 is going to be super super slim of the Apple iPhone. So we'll find out a little bit later on. We shall keep you informed, but there's details on the LBC website at the moment. But forget the, the Blackberry. The humble paperclip is the real genius invention. The pencil, bubble wrap, zip, sticky tape and tea bags are other everyday items rated more useful than the latest electronic gizmos. They're life-changing inventions, many costing less than a penny. And I bet you can't remember who invented most things. For example, the pencil was patented in 1795 by a French army officer. They're all at the Hidden Heroes exhibition at London Science Museum from November the 9th. Bubble wrap... A US engineer got the idea whilst working on wallpaper in 1957. He must have been working on that anaglypta paper, which is sort of kind of raised and we used to push that one in. Uh, the paperclip, invented by a Norwegian uh, in 1899, the invention was first made in Britain. The milk carton, patented by a toy maker, John Van Wormer of Ohio in 1915. Sticky tape, invented in 1930 by an engineer, Richard Drew. It's clever, that, isn't it? Stick, when you think about it, sticky... How would you ever come up with sticky tape? I never understand it. All this uh, super glue. How come you, you can actually get it out of the actual container it's in? How come it doesn't solidify? First aid plaster. American Earl E. Dickinson made the first in 1920. Earplugs. Uh, a German in 1907. The Zip. A brainwave of the Swedish electrical engineer Gideon Sundback in 1913. The teabag... U.S. buyers in 1908 didn't realise the sachets were just containers. The light bulb, of course, was Thomas Edison. The coat hanger, inspired by a clothes hook in 1869. The bottle cap, William Painter. And the drawing pin, Germany and England, both claimed this invention in around 1902. There you go. I mean, some of them, they're only, you just think they've been around for ages and ages, don't you? Well, perhaps you don't really care. Perhaps you're not really bothered to know the drawing. Who cares? You know. We just take it for granted. All the things you take for granted, like a watch, you know, you take for granted, and a phone. I mean, it's, it's just amazing how the technology has moved on so fast. So, so fast. There was a lovely story I was trying to find earlier on in the paper, and it's to do with Yetis. OK, now, it's, you know, it's, it's one of these far-fetched stories, because you know that for years now they, are, they have tried to uh, convince you in certain parts of Russia that there are... Yeti. Uh, a Yeti is apparently uh, an upright creature, half man, half bear, half whatever. Uh, there was a television programme done in America about it, and I think it was, was it the Hendersons or something like that? They had this huge Yeti-type thing that lived with them. But it, Bigfoot, was it? That's right. Bigfoot, uh, Bigfoot's Yeti, isn't it? Or they call it something else. They call it Bigfoot, they call it Yeti, and they call it... Is it Sasquatchan or something? Sa Sa Sasquatch or something like that. Anyway, it turns out that over in Russia, uh, they found one. An 85-year-old woman has gone to the press and, uh, and she said, I seen it. I seen it, she said. I, I knew it was out there because my dog started barking. And they went, it's a bear, love. And she went, no, 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 no. She said, it's definitely a yeti. 
definitely Yeti. She, I know what they look like. I've seen, I've seen photos. So she's, she's managed to convince people. Of course, everybody thinks that she's telling porky pies. And the reason they think she's telling porky pies is because she comes from this town where they've had quite a number of sightings of Yetis. And they think it's in an effort to, uh, to try and get some tourists to this place, thinking that there's going to be Yetis. But, of course, there aren't. It's like, it's like Loch Ness. We've explained Loch Ness countless times. You know, people say, oh, of course, the lock is so deep. Yeah, well, this thing would be thousands of years old. You know, and it has to come up to breathe at some point. So, in, in the same way that we can poo-poo the Loch Ness Monster, we have to poo-poo yetis. And we're certainly not going to be believing an 82-year-old woman who's quite clear. She probably drinks. I should imagine she'd be around for a couple of sure, but you know, and she says she's seen this thing. She said, but they but they look very, very dangerous. And so they, they had a picture. Nobody it's amazing, isn't it? In this day and age, nobody's actually managed to get a photograph of a Yeti. You've had a few sort of balmy, you know, line drawings, but nobody's ever got a picture of it. You know, on most phones now, and most people have got a camera somewhere. You think you get a really good picture, but all the, the only picture they've ever got is that sort of man wearing a bit of a suit walking into a forest, and they go, and this is the only picture of a Yeti, and you go, No, it's a bloke wearing a furry suit. You can tell what it is. You know, we're not stupid. But, of course, people like to... But people want to believe. People... I mean, you, you seriously... And I say you, because I know there's a few people out there, you know, the Barmies at this time of the morning, who, who sort of like that kind of... People want to believe in little green men from outer space. They want to believe in yetis. They want to believe in those stupid crop circles. They want to believe in everything. I, I prefer to believe in something like ghosts, provided I could physically see it. I spoke to a lady yesterday in Twickenham, and she went to see um, Sally Morgan doing her show, she said, it's a bit vague. I said, well, of course it's vague. She's doing cold. She's got no more talent than you or I have. You know, I said, did you manage to get a reading from, you know, from her? She said, no. Because the only people who go to Sally Morgan shows are people who've lost somebody. And they think that if they go there, and she'll, she'll luckily be... But people write, as we said before, to Doris Stokes, they would write, so she'd hang on to the letters, file them, and then when she was doing a show in their town, which, of course, she did with amazing regularity, uh, she would send them tickets. So she knew she had the audience there. And, of course, people were hoping, oh, is it me, is it me? My friend Mike did it yesterday, he went, Frank. He said, does that mean anything? He said, that name's just come to me. I said, my Uncle Frank. My Uncle Frank, who came over here only a short while ago. And he said, um, he's, he's not with us anymore, is he? Now, he didn't know that. I've never mentioned my Uncle Frank to him. So does that mean he's psychic? No. If I go, um, Eunice. Eunice. Seeing the name Eunice here. Something's recently happened to a Eunice who's listening to this programme. There's bound to be, out of the hundreds of thousands of people listening, there's bound to be a Eunice who's going, that's me, it's me. Or for Roberta, there's a Roberta listening at the moment. You know, it's, it's only when you sort, of, you sort of start bringing it down that the, that, the, that the cold reading bit springs into action. And it's, it's very cleverly done, but it's an act, OK? It's an act. It's, it's, it doesn't, has no more meaning. If it brings somebody happiness, fine. Well, you know, it's like doing the lottery or playing a fruit machine or baking cakes. If it brings you happiness, then fine, do it. But then, you see, I don't like people taking money off people for that very same reason. That's why there's always disclaimers on all of Sally Morgan's shows and very similar shows like hers. And she isn't the only one, believe you me, uh, of, of, uh, of them saying not everybody will get a reading. 99% of you won't get a reading. She'll only be doing a few things, but it will convince you to go and, and see it for the second time. I'm more worried about a guy called Peter Cottrell. Peter Cottrell goes into Sports Direct. Now, I'm assuming, because I don't know, I've heard of JD Sports, I'm assuming Sports Direct is another one of these um, shops that sells trainers and T-shirts and stuff like that. He goes in there and he's banned from buying goods on his credit card. Why? Because he's blind and he can't see the chip and pin. So he just... He's, he's always been allowed to sign for payments because he's blind. 
You know, it's not complicated. But anyway, he, 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 he goes in. He's 44. He tries to buy a £7 T-shirt from Sports Direct. The staff refused his signature. I mean, he's blind. I mean, <laughs> it's just... Anyway, and they, and they told him to pay by cash. And he went, no. So he then went, 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 went to... Um, he actually got uh, an apology after complaining. But when he visited another branch to buy £12 worth of clothes, staff again refused to accept his signature. You'd think they'd have sent something out in Sports Direct to all the... Saying, listen, if somebody who's blind comes in, and they're quite clearly blind, then accept a signature. You know, that, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And yesterday, Mr Cottrell, who's seeking damages, says what they're doing is pure disability discrimination. And a spokeswoman for the RNIB said stores should allow blind customers the option of using... They want you to pay cash. You know, everybody else, unfortunately, in the country is allowed to use debit cards and credit cards, but not if you're blind in Sports Direct. I mean, you'd think that they'd be thinking, this could be bad publicity. We want to welcome everybody in, not start discriminating. But for it to happen, you know, not once but twice, is absolutely appalling. Absolutely appalling. So shame on Sports Direct. Let people sign for things if they're blind. I mean, not everybody's blind. There's only a handful of people who go in there. I shouldn't imagine that many blind people are going to be interested in buying sports clothing or T-shirts or something like that. But it, it's allowed in, in other stores. Come on, pull yourselves together. Pull yourselves together. Uh, other things... Oh, they've launched today, because we're always being told whatever we put in our mouth is going to make us better, isn't it? Super Broccoli Day. Today is Super Broccoli Day, and this one has got... They, they bred it... With the help of John Innes. Now, gardeners know all about John Innes compost and things like that. And this one's got more of this in and more of that. And, and it's really nice. And apparently it's really good for it. Well, I like broccoli anyway. It's going to hit, I think, Marks and Spencers later on today. And also, the thing that you're going to be noticing from today, what's normally long and orange? Come on. Apart from a long orangey thing, a carrot. From today, multicoloured carrots are going to be on sale. Just to make it interesting, purple, orange, tangerine, white, yellow, cream and amber varieties grown in Norfolk will be sold in Tesco for a pound a bag. You're going to be going crackers for them because the kids are going to be going, we want the coloured carrots, please. We don't want the boring orange ones. We want coloured carrots. I myself will be nipping to Tesco's to buy them because at the moment you can't get the Heston Blue... Morning, everybody. 28 minutes to six is the time. Front page of all the papers. It's Amanda Knox and her former boyfriend, uh, Raphael Solicito. Last night cleared of murdering British student Meredith Kircher. Knox burst into tears. She has been prone to bursting into tears. I should imagine the relief is, uh, is there and is evident for everybody to see. She spent four years in jail for a crime she always insisted she did not commit. But uh, she's now preparing to head home to America on a string of lucrative media deals. The family are rich beyond belief. And um, so outside the court, an angry crowd chanted shame while the prosecutor said they would appeal the decision. Uh, let's not forget, of course, uh, Miss Kircher, who was uh, Meredith Kircher, the one who, who died, I'm afraid, found in November 2007. And uh, last night, the verdict hinged on weaknesses in the DNA evidence. However, Knox was handed a three-year sentence for slandering an innocent bar owner she blamed for the killing. Knox's sister, Diana, said, we're thankful that Amanda's nightmare is over. She suffered for four years for a crime she did not commit. 
It's amazing we do get, don't we, over the years. I've seen more and more cases of miscarriages of, of justice and people spending... And you'd have thought that with DNA evidence and with, you know, that it would be almost cast iron. By the time you get to court and they waste their time doing it, and then at the end, the whole thing just gets thrown out and they go, well, um, it wasn't very reliable. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, it wasn't very reliable, the evidence. Uh, one more. <coughs> Thank you. You can always tell, can't you? All sneezing. T- We're all sneezing this morning. Everybody's sneezing around here. You know why? Because the weather's turned a bit autumnal. Bit autumnal. £85 million pounds tonight. It's another jaw-dropper on the Euro Millions. £85 million. £85 million. That'd be a new car, wouldn't it? Or a flat or a house or, you know, possibly a bodybuilding class or something like that. Um, Moira says, I believe in Yetis. I know, I've seen your picture. I'm not at all surprised. I don't, I mean, you, you cannot believe in yetis, I'm afraid. The idea that these Sasquatch things walking around upright and nobody sees them. You know, in this day and age, we have infrared cameras, we have everything. And it's, it's, it's like the Loch Ness Monster. They go, oh, you know, but the Loch's so very deep and so very long. You could, never, you could see everything. We can see buildings underground that you can see nothing of above ground. So, so why not? Why not actually, you know, take, take cameras up there? It would, uh, it would be, uh, you know, it would be quite, quite interesting, I would think. Quite interesting. Uh, Patsy says, the Kirchers appears obsessed with keeping Knox in prison guilty of not being rich is not a crime. I wouldn't want the right person locked up. No, but they, they orchestrated a huge campaign, a huge campaign, uh, to, um, to actually sort of get her, her, her freedom. I think when she addressed the, uh, the court in fluent Italian, I think they kind of clinched it, as far as they were concerned. Somebody who'd, who'd made that much of, a, of an effort. But she, she's going to be worth a lot of money. She's going to be worth a lot of money now. And, uh, and there will be a media frenzy in America. There will be syndication rights. There'll be a film. There'll certainly be a book. Uh, and there'll be appearance. I should imagine every talk show host in America is trying to get her on there. I would think so, because she's articulate and she's pretty. And, and that would be the main reason for putting people on television in America. They like that kind of thing. That's the sort of thing. And then we will end up with it, with it over here as well. And then we'll have syndication rights, which will, which will probably go for the, uh, most of the main, main newspapers. Uh, here's the picture of the, the Yeti, the abominable snowman. And uh, there's been a, a degree of scepticism uh, over, uh, over the last time they all went out because they're now saying that the group of hunters are going to go out and try and find this thing. And um, they say experts for six nations will be gathering at the International Centre of Hominology in a place called Tashagol. Uh, The centre's director believes around 30 yetis live in the Kubas coal mining region, where villagers say they steal sheep and hens. He claims they are Neanderthals who survive to this day. They drink quite a lot in Russia, I should point out, too. There's quite a lot of alcoholism. And they like... Yeti. Bloody Yeti. Look at the thing. Huge, isn't it? Absolutely enormous. And um, so it's it's very, very interesting. I don't believe it at all. But they're now going to have this abominable snowman conference and uh, a load of scientists, because they're always the easiest ones to fool the scientists. I promise you, they are so, so simple. You could show them something and they have no idea. No idea at all. But this uh, woman, uh, Rie, uh, whose name is uh, Reza Sudachakova, who claims her dogs howled in fear, she said it was a tall creature, but not giant, covered with long brown grey hair, like a bear. It wasn't a bear. I've lived all my life in Siberia and wouldn't make that mistake. This creature walked like a, a human. Experts speculated she may have seen a young yeti. 
A young yeti. You know, they build it up in their own minds, don't they? This was a baby yeti that was wandering around, because normally they're about seven foot tall. This one was about five foot, so it was a baby yeti. You know, they are... I mean, listen, I can remember we got so excited, they said, we've uncovered a woolly mammoth. Do you remember in in the ice? Or, and, I th- and of course, and they're going, and they say it's perfectly preserved. And I got really excited because I wanted to believe in 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 woolly mammoths, and I know that they did exist. It was just an elephant with hair, okay? Because over the years, elephants have got bigger, and uh, in in the early days, they they were quite tiny. And they th- and they found it, and they, it's in this ice cave, and it's preserved. I thought we're going to go in there, and there is going to be this thing from thousands of years ago covered in hair. No. Nope. It just just looked like an elephant to me. It didn't look like anything. It didn't look like anything. Ever had hair on it? I was quite disappointed, and that's and that's the way, isn't it? It's like I remember being fascinated by going to the internet and typing in on Google inside the Great Pyramid, and they've got all these ladders and everything else inside the Great Pyramid of Giza, I think it is, and and you look at it and think, oh goodness, I could go there. I could go there. These people who built this thing. What if they realised when they built it that all these years later it was still going to be sitting there and people would be climbing around inside it? Because that's what you think of, isn't it? You just think that the moment the the pharaoh sort of got onto the throne, they started building his tomb. You could look out the palace window and all you see is the tomb being built for the pharaoh. (laughs) And you start thinking, it's a bit depressing, isn't it? Your whole life, that's where you're going to end up, over there. You know, and, and, the, and you go and inspect the work and go, oh, it's very nice, very nice indeed. Yes, I think I can be comfortable in here. Then they shove in the boats and all the rest of it. We're all fascinated by things that we know very little about. I was quite fascinated. There's a house for sale in Richmond and it's got a secret tunnel under the under the stairs that they think leads down to the river. They said it's blocked up, but you could unblock it. I thought, you can imagine how many rats are living in there, can't you? It would be like a, a scene out of Ratatouille, that film about the rat who worked in the kitchens in Paris, which I thought was a great... I watched it again the other day. It's such a good little film. It really is. I've, sometimes you, you don't appreciate cartoons. I don't think they call them cartoons anymore, do they? Animation films. You don't appreciate them first time round. You watch them the second time or the third time, and you go, that's really good. Every time I watch films like Steel Magnolias and, and things like that, I always appreciate a bit more, and I always think... I love this town. I want to go and live in this town. And then you think, no, actually, probably some of these little towns in mid-America probably harbour so much jealousy and greed and everything else. You'd probably have a miserable time, terribly miserable time. Uh, X-Factor judge Gary Barlow has revealed he's still traumatised with his battle with obesity because Gary's weight goes up, down, up, down, up, down. It's, It's a battle that most people, not everybody, but most people over the age of about 35 um, actually suffer with. He's now, I think, a comfortable... Uh, 12 stone, from a peak of 16 stone. He went up to 16 stone. I don't know what I weigh, actually. I know I got a thing from Noreen through. <laughs> I have to read you this one, because it was quite funny. Well, it's, it's sort of funny in a, in a strange kind of way, because I think they, they went to the uh, the doctors, and they got Brian weighed. And she said uh, she weighed him. He'd gained 11 pounds. So she suggested to him that he lose some. When we got home, I suggested he'd check on our scales... And he was seven pounds heavier than the doctor had said. She said, our scales are very accurate, so we know they're right. So the big diet commences after our trip to Scotland in a couple of weeks. So the, so the doctor goes, you've gained 11 pounds. You go home, stand on your own scales. You go, actually, no, she's wrong. You've actually gained 18 pounds. <laughs> that must be even more depressing. I've given up weighing myself. I used to have a pair of scales. I would stand on them and go, mm. and then you think, if I stand on one foot or lean to one side, does that make you lighter? And the answer is, no, it doesn't didn't work at all, I'm afraid. So I was, I was very, very disappointed. So the big diet commencing. It's boring, isn't it? I was talking to Michael, hairdresser, yesterday, and we were talking about diets. And it's dull. Dieting is dull. I don't care what anybody says. Why can't we just eat food and we don't put on weight? 
you know, there must be something. You know, I don't want to live on carrot. I like the coloured carrots coming out. I'm a big fan of coloured carrots. I think I think kids will be eating that. It was like, what did we have a short while ago? Was it um, vegetable crisps? Which I thought was a good idea. It was sliced parsnip and sliced carrot and sliced a few other things. And then they were oh, deep fried, of course. But it was the fact that it was vegetables. It was getting kids to eat vegetables. And they had a programme on the television trying to persuade kids to eat vegetables because they're unattractive. How many times they go, oh, do you want greens? Oh, no. Do you want beans? Yeah, I have beans. I have baked beans, yeah. And so they substitute the vegetables for baked beans, which are full of sugar. It's like the worst thing you can have now, I only discovered today. And I was talking to Ali, my driver, and, and we were, I was saying about fruit. And I can't wait for the little Chinese oranges to come out, the little tiny ones, which are just delicious. You just wish that they'd invent an orange that you didn't need to peel. You could just pop it in your mouth and eat it you know, skin and all, if it was sort of a, an edible skin, because it's, it's like bringing out a mango without a stone in it, or light cheese without a stone. It's the stone bit I find awful. And sometimes you forget, and you nearly sort of break a filling, don't you? You sort of go, ooh. But little orange, oh, love little oranges. And I said, I just could have eaten them. There's a big piece in the paper today on how bad fructose is for you. So if you're a diabetic, you know, fruit, you can have a little tiny bit, but it's not much cop. So at the end of the day, you're kind of going around the supermarket and thinking, oh, that looks nice, can't eat that. That looks, can't eat that. That is, oh, can't eat that. I think Marks and Spencer's did a, uh, a chocolate, was it called Death by Chocolate? And it was like chocolate bomb inside a chocolate thing. And so when you cut into it, all the, all the liquid chocolate spilled out. Now, I'm not big in chocolate. I'm not, I'm not really fussed either way. But I did look at it thinking it'd be like, quite nice to eat that. And I've stopped eating cakes, but occasionally I look at cakes and I think, oh, that'd be quite nice. You think, perhaps I'll just do it, perhaps as a one-off. And then you think, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, I did get sent, oh, thank you, incidentally, to uh, Andrew and uh, Keisha in Tottenham. They do podcast the programme, so you'll be hearing this probably on Thursday, I should imagine. If anybody is listening to the podcast, hello! I have to say that now because some people podcast and, uh, and then they don't get it till a little bit later. Uh, I like the story of the um, of the four worms, which was sent in by, by Merle. A minister decided that a visual demonstration would add emphasis to his Sunday sermon. Four worms were placed into four separate jars. The first worm was put into a container of alcohol. The second worm in a container of cigarette smoke. The third worm in a container of chocolate syrup. And the fourth worm was put in a container of good soil. At the conclusion of the sermon, the minister reported the following results. The first worm in alcohol dead. The second worm in cigarette smoke, dead. The third worm in chocolate syrup, dead. The fourth worm in good clean soil, alive. So the minister said to the congregation, what did you learn from that demonstration? And Maxine, who was sitting at the back, quickly raised her hand and said, as long as you drink, smoke and eat chocolate, you won't have worms. Which is a marvellous idea. And thank you very much indeed um, for the how to give the cat the pill because we, we lost it a short while ago, and people have been desperate to, uh, to download this. This is, uh, this is the vet's advice, and for all of you cat lovers out there, I'll do it for you in a moment, but it's, it's specifically for cat lovers who've taken their, um, their little loved one to the vet, and you've come back, and as usual, you're there and you're struggling, and he said, all you've got to do is give the cat this tablet here. And I'll tell you exactly how you do it after the news, which is next. <laughs> to six. These are the headlines. Amanda Knox will fly home to America later after being freed from an Italian prison following her acquittal over Meredith Kircher's murder. The 24-year-old had her conviction for killing the student from Surrey overturned last night after a successful appeal. 
Around 3,000 people had to be evacuated from their homes in Harrow last night following a fire and an explosion at a car workshop. Around 30 firefighters were called to the building on Kenton Lane. Residents have now been allowed home. And the Mayor unveils plans for so-called boot camps for young Londoners in a speech at the Conservative Party conference in Manchester later. He'll set out his plans to fund after-school leadership clubs as part of his response to the riots in London in August. Check on the roads for we, for we, for all of us this morning, for we, hello, <laughs> and why not, 14 to 6, I must stop drinking, it's Jay Louise. Thank you Steve, good morning, well problems on the... 7.3. Morning everybody, 10 to 6 is the time, and Catherine points out, and I don't know why we didn't think of it ourselves, if there was such a thing as a yeti, why has nobody ever found a dead one? Surely they get old and die. Yes, perhaps they're, perhaps they're dragged off by the other yetis, and uh, things, I don't know. It's that, it's that old thing, isn't it? Why do you know it's the, the the Loch Ness monster? You know, it can't still be this same creature swimming up and down because they've got no decent pictures, and we've all got fantastic cameras in our phones. And also, it, it must be vegetarian because there's no fish in the loch. Uh, and then, then they sort of think, when does it come up for breeding? And people go, oh, there's an underground cave. Yeah, right. And also, the fact it's very difficult to see anything because the bottom of the loch is very muddy. And so any submersible... But there's been a man who lived, lived by the side of the lock for years and he's trawled it every day. He's seen nothing. He's seen nothing. He's so desperate for this thing to come up. And there was a film made about the Loch Ness Monster with Ted Danson in, I think. And, uh, which was, was quite sweet, but, I mean, complete, just complete rubbish. Complete rubbish. Anyway, for all you uh, cat lovers out there, this is, uh, this is the, uh, the easy guide to giving the cat a pill. When you come back from the vet... And the vet goes, give it. So what you have to do, okay, try and follow this through as much as you can. It, it won't be that easy. Pick up the cat and cradle it in the crook of your left arm as if you're holding a baby. Position the right forefinger and thumb either side of the cat's mouth and gently apply pressure to the cheeks whilst holding the pill in the right hand. As the cat opens its mouth, pop the pill into the mouth. Allow the cat to close the mouth and swallow. Retrieve pill from the floor and cat from behind the sofa. Cradle cat in left arm and repeat process. Retrieve cat from bedroom and throw, throw soggy pill away. Take new pill from foil wrap. Cradle cat in left arm, holding rear paws tightly with left hand. Force jaws open and push pill to back of mouth with right forefinger. Hold mouth shut for a count of ten. Retrieve pill from goldfish bowl and cat from top of wardrobe. Call spouse from garden. Kneel on floor with cat wedged firmly between knees. Hold front and rear paws. Ignore low sounds emitted by cat. Get spouse to hold head firmly with one hand while forcing wooden ruler into mouth. Drop pill down ruler and rub cat's throat vigorously. Retrieve cat from curtain rail. Get another pill from the foil wrap. Make note to buy a new ruler and repair curtains. Carefully sweep shattered figurines and vases from hearth and set to one side for gluing later. Wrap cat in large towel and get spouse to lie on cat with head just visible from below armpit. <laughs> Put pill in end of drinking straw, force mouth open with pencil and blow down <laughs> drinking straw. Check label to make sure pill not harmful to humans. <laughs> Drink a beer to take the taste away. Apply band-aid to spouse's forearm and remove blood from carpet with cold water and soap. Retrieve cat from neighbour's shed. Get another pill. Open another beer. Place cat in cupboard and close door on it to neck, leaving head showing. Force mouth open with dessert spoon. Flick pill down throat with elastic band. <laughs> Fetch screwdriver from garage and put cupboard door back on hinges. <laughs> drink beer. Fetch bottle of scotch. Pour shot. Drink. 
Apply cold compress to cheek and check records for date of last tetanus shot. Apply whiskey compress to cheek to disinfect. Toss back another shot. Throw T-shirt away and fetch new one from bedroom. Call fire department to retrieve the damn cat from across the road. Apologise to the neighbour who crashed into the fence while swerving to avoid it. Take last pill from foil wrap. Tie the little darling's front paws to rear paws with garden twine and bind tightly to leg of dining table. Find heavy-duty pruning gloves from shed. Push pill into mouth, followed by large piece of fillet steak. Be rough about it. Hold head vertically and pour two pints of water down throat to wash pill down. Consume remainder of scotch. Get spouse to drive you to the emergency unit. Sit quietly while doctor stitches fingers and forearm and remove pill remnants from right eye. Call furniture shop on way home to order new table. Arrange for RSPCA to collect mutant cat from hell and call local pet shop to see if they've got any hamsters for sale. There you go. We always like that one. It always puts a smile on your face first thing in the morning. I always think if you can put a smile on somebody's face in the morning, it doesn't seem so bad, does it, really? Um Christine in Bristol is going to Penarth on Friday. No radio. Take a computer. Take a computer. I don't believe these people's excuses. There's no... Oh, there's no radio. It's going to be terrible. It's terrible. Kev says, they have invented an orange. You don't have to peel. It's called a Jaffa cake. It's not the same, is it? I was mortally disappointed when I discovered many years ago um, that a Terry's chocolate orange... I thought it was an orange covered in chocolate. It turns out to be orange-flavoured chocolate. I was quite bored with it. And then you tap it on the table and share it. And I thought... No, not really, no. I wanted a proper orange covered in covered in chocolate. Hugh says, uh, do you remember the American youth a few years ago who broke into a car in Singapore? He got 20 lashes and uh, made a million out of selling his story. Hugh's a tower crane operator. Oh, Lord, he didn't get me up a tower crane. I saw that poor man who's in the highest one in London, which I think is above the Shard, and he's got to climb up a ladder. Well, I mean, I, j- I just feel ill thinking about it. The very idea that this thing might just snap... Because it looks... I mean, I'm sorry to sort of mention that at this time of the morning, but it, it looks so fragile. And when it's very windy, it's going to be windy. This thing must move. And you're sitting in a little tiny... little tiny box. I mean, there's not even a toilet up there or anything like that. I mean, if you want to go to the toilet, it's going to take you half an hour to come all the way back down again, go to the toilet, go all the way up, and you think, don't drink any more water, otherwise we're back down the ladder again. And it's it's high. You try climbing, the, you know, the, the height of the shard. It takes long enough to do St Paul's Cathedral. And that's nowhere near at all. So I, I get very worried about things like that. I always think if it did break and snap and it fell over, would you have enough time to get out of the actual cabin or the cockpit and just step onto the ground as it crashed about you? Would, would that be possible or not? I have a feeling probably not, actually. I have a feeling that it might sort of go a little bit too fast. <laughs> I don't know. Five minutes away from the, uh, the launch of the, uh, the iPhone. This is iPhone 5. We think they're going to do two... I think they're going to do two today, because Nick uh, will bring you the latest from the Conservative Party conference in Manchester. He'll speak to the Prime Minister, David Cameron, getting news from Mr Cameron on Europe, the economy, and what we can expect from the government in the coming year, looking ahead, of course, to the launch of the iPhone. Uh, and what's the great attraction of Apple? Tell me. I wish somebody could explain it to me. It must be one of the very few brands in the world that people buy into in a big way. You buy into iTunes, you buy into Apple, you buy into the Macs, and people tend to... And before you know where you are... The Shuffle, the iPod Touch. You've, you, you've bought loads of Apple products without realising that you've bought into a, into a company. Must be something about it. No doubt you'll be telling Nick. Full review of the morning papers. Miranda Green, journalist and former press secretary to uh, Paddy Ashdown while he was leader of the Lib Dems. OK. Uh, other stories in the papers. Is there too much flesh 
on display in uh, Strictly? And the answer is yes, because it's ballroom dancing. And unfortunately, and I don't, well, I say unfortunately, I don't know why, in ballroom dancing, a lot of the men have to stick their sort of bottoms out and wiggle backwards and forwards. Anton de Beck, or Tony Beek, likes to do that anyway. And, um, and I think Edwina Curry has said to her dancer, who the name I can't remember, but he's, she said, can we sex it up a little bit? I'm not sure we want to see that kind of thing. I mean, you know, it is supposed to be... Yes, I did see Edwina. It was just where she lay on her back. What was going on there? That was a very strange thing. As I say, but, I mean, at least she's, she's sort of game for it. God, no, she's game for it. And, and she was sort of having a good old go. Whereas poor old Nancy Delusional, I mean, you know, this woman probably couldn't get arrested in her home country of Italy. She really couldn't. Uh, traumatic experiences could be no more than a distant memory thanks to a groundbreaking pill... Apparently, scientists have unlocked some of the secrets of how the brain deals with stress, paving the way for a drug that eases painful memories. We were only the other day talking about this um, condition that this actress has in America where she can remember everything going back 40 years. Not only can she remember the day of the week it was, she can remember what she was wearing, what the weather was like and what was on television. And there's only a handful of people in the world who can do this. And, And I thought, what a brilliant idea. And she said, no, no, no. Far from it. She said, every day, my life flashes before my eyes. And she can see it vividly. And I'm thinking, this this must be an absolute godsend, because it means that you could go on every quiz show on television and you'd know all the answers. Because she photographs everything. Everything she looks at. So, you know, if, if she read a paper today, she would remember all these stories. And somebody would say, you know, the third word is, and she'd go, countenance. And she would be right. So, in other words, you could put it to advantage, couldn't you? You could actually go on quiz shows. You could say, well, I'm going to go on Mastermind. My chosen subject is going to be the Bible. And she's read the Bible. And she knows everything about the Bible. Every single thing. Because she's never going to get the answer wrong. And I thought that could be quite good. I mean, you could actually put it to such good use and make so much money out of it. I think that would be very, very clever. Like people, as I said yesterday, trying to remember packs of, of uh, playing cards... Um, I can't remember like last Thursday. If somebody says to you, where were you last Tuesday? And you have to go, Tuesday. No, can't, I can't remember. I mean, I came in here, quite obviously. But what did I do last Tuesday? I've got no idea. And that's only, a, that's a week ago. Can't even remember. It's my stomach. Is, I can always remember the, but, but the days that my, my stomach goes. That, that could be just about any day on the programme. 84850, uk. Don't forget, um, I'm going to mention Downton Abbey very shortly. Because it turns out that you're turning off Downton Abbey. Mainly because there's too many ad breaks. They've really shoved the ad breaks in. And people, I think, uh, are a bit bored. So they'll probably end up buying the DVD. And they're also saying that the battle scenes at the Somme were so unrealistic. There's more action going on at the local allotment than there was uh, at the Somme, I'm afraid. And I agree. And the servants' quarters do look like a nice weekend away in a travel lodge. (laughs) But that's Downton Abbey for you. They had a programme on the real Downton Abbey, which is Highclere Castle. Fascinating place. I love places like that. News at 6 is next on 97.3. On FM, online... Morning, everybody. Nice to have your company. Welcome along to LBC 97.3. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast until 7. And then Nick and the team will keep you company till 10. Foxy Noxy has walked free from court. It's the front page of every single paper. Uh, she's flying back to America very shortly. And there they will start sifting through the, uh, the huge media deals which are already on the table. 
and uh, no doubt there'll be a book, no doubt there'll be a film made by Hollywood, because it's, uh, it's a story that, that we'll want telling time and time again, and uh, that you'll be hearing about a little bit later on today on LBC. There's also the launch of the iPhone... And uh, this is where we find out. It's amazing, actually, a company launches uh, something and immediately every, the whole the world's press jump on the bandwagon and want to know more about it. What does the new iPhone do? And you get people... People queue. I've, I mean, I did go when they launched the last iPhone. I did leave the studio. I did get back home and I did go and queue up until I saw the queue in the Bentall Centre. And there must have been a few hundred people in it. And then... Somebody had said to me, you know that there are people who are paid to stand in the queue, people who want the phone, but they can't be bothered to actually queue, and they were paying people, I think something like 50 to £70, pounds, to stand in a queue to get a phone. And I stood there for a while, and, and I remember thinking, it's a bit geeky. It's not, it's not quite the kind of thing that I would do. I don't, I don't even like queuing outside restaurants. You know, when you stand there, there's a little piece of rope, and they go, how many... And I always look round and think, well, um, let's see how we can wind them up. I say, well, there's me, there'll be another 40 in a minute. You know, we're on a trip to Lourdes and we just thought we'd sort of pop in for a pizza. And, uh, and so, so queuing doesn't really sit very well. I don't mind queuing for a bus. I'm quite good with queuing for buses. But queuing for an iPhone, I did stand there and I did, I did 35 minutes. And in the end, I was so frightened that somebody in the queue would want to talk to me. And then we'd have geeky conversations. And I wasn't really into geeky conversations. So I sort of thought, and you're... You, you're sort of resorted to just standing there staring into the distance. It becomes a bit solitude. And, and I, I didn't... So in the end, I just walked away. And as I walked away, I could feel people's eyes look at me going, we're now one step nearer getting the iPhone. And all I kept thinking was, I'm not, I don't want to be standing there forever and a day. I've got things to do in life. I'm sure there's much more. The other thing which, which appears in the, in the paper today, and this is a very strange one, hands up... No, sorry, hands down again, sorry. Uh, if you remember being at school and the teacher went... Uh, okay, um, who knows the answer to six times four? Holly. And you knew it was Holly because she put her hand up. They're changing that in schools now. They've decided that hands up isn't very good. Thumbs up. They've now decided in some schools, like, like the Fonz, eh, you know, and, and so kids put their thumbs up. Well, the teacher must have eyes in the back of her head. I mean, at least, you know, in a class of 20 or 30 school children, somebody puts their hand up, you can see them. You can count... Uh, if they're putting their thumbs up, you're not going to see anything at all. And so this farce has, is now taking place in schools across the country. Children are used to putting their hands up. It's natural, say all the experts. That's what they do. You put your hand up. What, 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 Stephen? Can I go to toilet, miss? Yes, in, in a minute, you can go to toilet. Put your thumb up doesn't mean anything at all, does it? But, uh, but, the, but the teachers and the head, head teachers say, no, this is actually better for junior school pupils. I, quite, I don't quite see it myself, unless, of course, you think differently. In which case, it's 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. And uh, Ray Mears, the TV presenter, says, uh, on the same subject, schools need more discipline to help Britain regain its lost manners. Nobody's polite anymore. Nobody says, I mean, I'm constantly saying please and thank you and sorry. I'm always saying sorry. Even if it's not my fault, I say sorry to people. I can't help it. It's just the way I am. And I think it, it must be the way you're brought up. Parents want to bring their, their children up and you say, look, don't rest your hands. Take your hands off the table. You know, can I get... De no, we haven't finished eating. It's called manners. You learn it. And it's, it's a slow process and it's like training a puppy. Once you've been trained, you remember it for the rest of your life. So you might go off the rails a little bit, but you'll always remember good manners. Because that's what your parents brought you up, you know, to say please and to say thank you. You know, and when you get a present from somebody, you say thank you. If it's Christmas time, the one thing we hated was having to write thank you letters. 
You'd have all the presents down. All you want to do when you're a kid is rip all the paper off the presents and then and then go and play with them. But once you discovered that the, the present wasn't quite as exciting as you thought it was with the paper off, and then you had to... And my mum would say, well, wait, where's, where's the label? And you'd go, oh, I said, well, find the label. To Stephen from Auntie Jean. What, what, what is it? What is it? Lego or something? I don't know. Lego or something. So she'd write down on a piece of paper. And she'd be trying to keep tabs on everybody's presents. And at the end of Christmas, she'd have to write, Dear Auntie Jean, thank you for my Lego. Lots of love, Stephen. And that would be your, your Christmas letter. And everybody, nobody does that anymore. Nobody writes letters saying thank you. People send you a text. They send you a text going, thank you very much, Annie, for the money you gave me for Christmas. Because that's what it tends, tends to be, I'm afraid. It tends to be money. Because you don't know what, what to buy people, do you? I never know what on earth to buy people for Christmas. So in the end, I give them all the same. Candles. You know, candles and, and, and some chocolate kind of covers everything nowadays. And also, you don't need to wrap it because they do these bags in Clinton's, all these other card shops, where you just sort of put it in there and then you take some shredded paper and put that in as well. But I've discovered the way around the shredded paper. Buy a shredder, make your own. You can put paper in there and you can make... And I've, I've made tonnes of shredded paper. Tonnes of it. It's brilliant. And I thought, if you put some of that in there and a little bit of glitter, it makes it look more entertaining. One year, I wrapped all my Christmas presents. Sorry to talk about it this early, but seeing as we're going into the autumnal weather and some people have predicted snow for this weekend, I'm here to tell you that we're not looking at snow as yet, but if we actually get a little bit of sleet or something, I wouldn't be at all surprised, because I think we're in for a very hard winter, but I wrapped all my Christmas presents in newspaper... Because I'd seen a, a thing and think of the Telegraph, and it said, wrap them all in, in newspaper and, and then took, put big ribbons around them. And, and so I did. And they looked rubbish. And so I decided I wouldn't do it again. I do like Christmas paper, but I've still got Christmas paper from last year. I love Christmas paper. And some of it's really good and some of it's really cheap. And I'm only mentioning this now because you, stood, you should start shopping for Christmas. You should start getting the stuff in. Because otherwise, you know, it's going to be a last-minute rush and you're going to be disappointed. And so if you're thinking of what, what to buy me, you know, a gift token or something like that would be quite acceptable. You know, not chocolate. Anything but chocolate. We all got given a tin of toffees one year. I don't know why we got given... In fact, two years running, I think. We all got given a tin of toffees. It was the least exciting of my presents. But made you very popular with people. Quarter past six. <laughs> The news headlines this morning with Holly Ford. Thanks, Steve. Amanda Knox will fly home. Morning, everybody. LBC 97.3 at Steve Allen's Early Breakfast. Nick Ferrari this morning will bring you the latest from the Conservative Party conference in Manchester. He'll be speaking to the Prime Minister, David Cameron, and also getting the latest on Europe, the economy, and what we can expect from the government in the coming year. Nick will be looking ahead to the launch of the iPhone 5 and uh, also trying to find out what is the great attraction of Apple. I don't know. Is it is it packaging? It must be the only store you ever go into, and there's people milling about all over the place. It's and it doesn't matter where the store is, be it in Kingston or Oxford Street. It doesn't matter or Covent Garden where they've got lots of people. They're all very bright and bubbly, and can they do this for you and they do that for you? And I'm thinking, look at me at my age, you know, learning about technology. I find it quite amazing. I can just about use a phone. Although I discovered something quite brilliant with it the other day, which I've never discovered. And uh, my friend Danny, who's a policeman, said you push the button down at the bottom and hold it down, and then up comes a thing which has got on it... I'll tell you what it says, actually. Voice control. And so I then go, Amanda. And it will then, strangely enough, find Amanda's phone. Calling four zero. Late, well, oh, no, no. <laughs> Nearly gave you a phone number. And so all of a sudden, it then died. I mean, how clever is this? I didn't, I've had this thing for ages. I've got no idea some of the technology that's, uh, that's going on. Uh, the comment says, Paul, about Downton Abbey and the TV ads, because the newspapers are saying that it's hemorrhaging audience at the moment, 400,000 down, because 
of the extended ad breaks. And he says, in all fairness, it's not really the fault of the makers of the show. It's more financial constraints. For a few years now, since the rules for the number of adverts allowed to be shown was changed, we've slipped into the American way of doing things. In fact, their breaks are even longer. Because I think in America, a programme will start and they'll go, welcome to football or whatever it is, and then they go straight to an ad break. And it can seem for ages before you come back. I first noticed it, he said, on Channel 4, with both Six Feet Under and Lost. Each had about the first five minutes, then a break. In Lost's case, uh, it was what happened in the previous episode. And with Six Feet, it was usually the events leading up to what I would call the sort of the dead person of the week. In other words, how somebody came to meet their maker and ended up at the funeral home. It was such a good series, that. It really was. I'd forgotten how, how good it was. And I think I've got it. Perhaps I should watch it again. He said, having said that, if anybody watched Educating Essex last week, the last part on there, only five minutes long as well. And, uh, yes, you're right, Jean Marsh has had a stroke. She's uh, recovering well at the moment. I think she's 70-something. He says uh, it's meant that everything has to be rewritten. That's the second blow to the show, because if you remember, everybody, Eileen Atkins decided not to return for the new series, and it was Jean and Eileen who devised the original show, and uh, still stands up really well. Yes, I mean, I spoke to people the other day who went to see Phantom at the Royal Albert Hall and said that was incredible, especially at the end when, of course, Michael Crawford came on, because people were expecting him. I don't think he sang... Actually, I don't think he uh, he sang. Talking of Strictly, says Bridget, I watched Sunday's programme. I thought Jason Donovan was very good. However, they're plugging the fact that he was in Neighbours and Joseph and failing to mention that he was Tick in Priscilla and obviously did some dancing in the role. Not quite the amateur they're implying. Oh, no, I mean, Jason's uh, done very well. I mean, I wouldn't say that he was the best... He would be the first to admit that he's not the best dancer. He's, he's a little bit two left legs. And I know that because I remember him when, when he had all his hits... Years ago, it was a bit difficult for him to walk and sing, and they were trying to get him to sort of look a little bit funky when he was doing too many broken hearts. And it, it didn't quite work for him, because he is he, the first one to admit that he's, he's not the best dancer. But he's actually doing really well. Lulu's not doing particularly well, and I thought she would do very, very well. She was one of those sort of people, I thought, because she's, she's danced. I've seen her dancing on TV shows. But when it comes to doing proper ballroom dancing, people suffer with it. Another asylum seeker story in the paper today. This is a Chinese asylum seeker. Somebody who's learnt to play the system quite quickly. Uh, her name is uh, Zhu Fang Zhang. Uh, she's been refused asylum in the past. But what she's done now... Uh, she came here in 2003, claiming she was for a persecuted religious minority, but was refused asylum... Uh, as her case was being processed, she very quickly got married and gave birth to a boy. Then after that, she had uh, a girl and twins. She lives in South Wales, speaks very little English, and says, uh, I just want to stay here. My, my children go to school here. And the reason she said she cannot go back is because uh, in her own country, they have a strict one-child policy. So while she was waiting... For the decision, she decided very quickly to have some more children, thus bypassing the system. And uh, she expected that the UK's infamous soft touch would apply. It appears that she was right. Although we're constantly being told in the papers today that the government are going to clamp down on this kind of thing and they're going to really make sure that when we have people here who abuse the system, that we refuse them entry and we send them back again. Too many people, though, and you can see adverts in so many of the papers now. I pick up a paper every day and there's always adverts for failed asylum seek, overstayers, call this number now and we can sort of help you. We can help you stay in the country. But unfortunately, you're paying for it. 
You're paying for it every single time. Uh, the, Mark says, the old iconic photo of the head of the Loch Ness Monster emerging from the water was actually the tip of an elephant's circus trunk who was bathing while camped at a nearby circus. I don't think that's right, actually. I've seen a number of pictures of the uh, so-called Loch Ness Monster. One was a piece of driftwood, and the other one was so hazy. But there's been nothing taken in recent years, because people assume that it is a serpent... And that's why all the old pictures. But I remember a guy called Magnus Pike years ago telling me, and, uh, and David Bellamy, he said, oh, be great it couldn't, it couldn't exist, he said. This thing would have been dead long, long ago by now, because it would have to come up to, to, to breathe, I'm afraid. Um, Tony from Charlton said, on a trip to France, our ship was attacked by hundreds of sea monsters trying to smash their way. My girlfriend said they were just jellyfish bobbing on the water. When we were in Hong Kong, we used to get shoals of jellyfish. Everybody had to get out of the water. There'd be little tiny things, but there were loads of them, tons of them. Shan said, listening to your funny cat story laughing. Swig me tea, yuck, not sugared. Isn't that funny? So I don't take sugar in tea. And I think it's really sweet. <laughs> if somebody does inadvertently put a bit of sugar in it, it's, it's way over the top. Uh, Roger also enjoyed the, uh, the cat pill thing. And uh, Tom says, I put my tablets in an old garlic crusher and then put the powder in the food and that way the cat will eat it. I know, not as funny though, is it? Not as funny. Uh, Daily Star today, Amy Knox, sorry, Amanda Knox, sobbed last night as the appeal court sensationally cleared her of the sex game murder of Meredith Kircher. Uh, Amy Childs, as I say, has got her own reality show on Channel 5. Uh, she says, I can finally share some very exciting news with you. I've got my own TV show. There have been lots of rumours, but I can confirm I've started filming. It's due to air in January. Can't imagine what, what she does, but uh, I'm sure it'll be entertaining. For somebody and uh, travellers from Britain's biggest illegal traveller site have lost their eviction fight. They're going. Tw- about £22 million pounds this has cost. How it's cost that much, I've got no idea. But now, Basildon Council... Uh, are going to have to spend more money to clear up to 50 illegal pitches. Uh, Bulldozers had been due to move in. Now, uh, I mean, the residents were entitled to bring the proceedings for the interim injunction. They should have some of their costs on that basis. They can clear certain things. Some buildings and walls can stay in place, but most harsh standings will be removed. And I think out of the 54 illegal travellers who are there, I think 49 will be shifted on. To where? I have no idea. They have been threatening that they'll just move into supermarket car parks. We don't know yet, but I'm assuming that the police, once they're off the site, I shouldn't imagine the police care, until they turn up somewhere else. And then another council has to go through exactly the same as Basildon Council have gone through. They must be really suffering down in Basildon, because if they've had to spend that much money, there must be services which you're now missing in the borough. There must be things which, which you're not getting. Because they've spent so much money. I don't know any other borough that can afford to spend £22 million and actually, you know, end up at the end of the day with exactly what they had before they'd spent the £22 million. Pride of Britain was last night. They were all there, including Prince Charles. Why do they put people's ages against every picture? They said Prince Charles, 62. Abby Clancy, 25. Stacey Solomon, 22. Talisa, 23. Kimberly Walsh, 29. And the Saturday's Molly King, 24. And... It doesn't seem to me there were any men there at all. It seemed it was all the ladies going there for the Pride of Britain Awards. But there were lots of people. There was, um, among the heroic stories they heard, that of uh, Tariq Jahan. You remember Tariq Jahan? He was the man who lost his son in the summer's riots but pleaded for peace as police feared revenge attacks would spark a tide of racial violence. There was a super gran who foiled an armed robbery and a woman who risked her life to drag two people from the path of a train. 
and uh, as usual, tears and people sobbing and lots and lots of applause. Kevin Hughes was telling me uh, just as he left the building this morning, because we've got a little piece from him later on. He spoke to Ed Miliband. So obviously, there were all sorts of the good and the great there. I think Ed Miliband, um, I think he used to, as a youngster, listen to LBC 97.3. And I think he was sort of... Yes. I think. Well, I can't remember. If he used to... He said he used to phone up, I think. He was telling somebody he used to phone up radio programmes. I think he used to phone LBC 97.3. Because he was saying the best thing for people to do now is to sort of probably get a job in radio. And uh, and sort of apply for work experience. You've got to be a certain age, of course, and you've actually got to be, you know, somebody who's on a related course. No good just sort of saying, I think I'll just go into radio for the sake of it. It, it unfortunately doesn't work in, in the way that it might in other jobs, where you come in and the next minute you're actually doing the job. You know, for some reason, I don't see many jobs advertised on the radio. We have a few trade magazines, but I'm, I've never seen, you know, but well, I have actually, I tell a lie, I've seen them for out of town, you know. Breakfast show presenter wanted, you know, for sort of you know, local radio in wherever it happens to be. Scunthorpe, yes, Scunthorpe Radio. Come and come and enjoy life by the sea. You know, gaze out to sea and broadcast to our audience of twelve. You know, and that's that's the exciting thing, isn't it? In London, you very rarely see jobs advertised. It's generally they've, they've got their eye on somebody. Once they've got their eye on somebody, whoop, my goodness me, the sky's the limit, as they say. It's LBC ninety-seven point three. It's Tuesday morning in London town. The time six thirty. Morning, everybody. It's 25 minutes to 7. It's LBC 97.3. It's early breakfast with Steve Allen till 7. Then Nick and the team with you till 10. Guess what they've just banned in French schools? They've decided it is the source of all evil. They've banned tomato ketchup. They've decided that they've had enough of tomato ketchup. Now, I know people who are addicted to tomato ketchup. They put it on everything. Steak, you name it, they put tomato ketchup on it. And I have to be honest, I do like a little bit of ketchup. It does go quite well on burgers. It does go quite well on hot dogs. And it probably actually goes quite well on chips at the same time. So tomato ketchup is the thing forward, but it's the source of all evil. So they've said, no in France, and they've decided they will not be having the source of all evil. However, the one thing that we talked about earlier on, with the launch of the iPhone today, is actually, it's, it, it isn't just the launch of the iPhone, it's the fact that it's Tim Cook's first product presentation since he took over from, from Steve Jobs as chief executive. Remember Mr Jobs resigned over ill health? And uh, what they're saying now, the iPhone 5... Uh, is the handset that we're all looking out for. The event, it's, it's quite a bit of importance here. They, I mean, it's been delayed for ages. And the reason they had um, all sorts of problems with production and suppliers, uh, they say it's the iPhone 5, but they think it'll probably be called the iPhone 4S. Larger screen, which is quite good news, thinner, they say, and contain a more powerful processor. It's also expected that the device will contain a series of upgrades because users of the present model, the iPhone 4, have complained about problems with the phone's antenna. I mean, I, I sometimes get that. You know you'll be on the phone, and all of a sudden it just drops out. It's the same with anything. And all of a sudden you go, hello, and they're going, I can't hear you, sound like a Dalek. And you go, well, it's, it's, I'm fine. And what, what's the thing we all say? I've got four bars up on it. You know, that's supposed to, to to explain everything. But even in certain parts of the country, you know, you'll be sort of driving down the motorway or whatever, all of a sudden the signal just just vanishes. And so there are all sorts of problems. They say here, they, they say it could be an 8-megapixel camera and it'll have the upgraded storage, either 16 gigabytes, 32 or 64. And they say £500, although obviously it'll go less for the uh, the contracts and the operators. And they reckon that there's a cut-price version of the iPhone 4 with a smaller 
eight gigabyte flash drive. The cheaper device, which may sell at under a hundred, is targeted at emerging markets like China, where Apple's brand is strong, but the devices are too expensive for many people. So they're saying a hundred pounds. You have to pitch at the right price, I think, and obviously pitching at a hundred pounds. When you think about it, and most of you will probably get them free with your upgrades when you when you're due the upgrade. But I spoke to uh, a friend of mine the other day, and his upgrade is not till. I think January, February of next year. So it's ages to wait. But by that time, they'll have ironed out all the uh, the little problem uh, problems, which which undoubtedly they do have. Uh, Matt says, I think the tangerine-coloured carrot is genius. Isn't tangerine a shade of orange? Yes, but it looks slightly different. If you look at the colour... These are the new carrots being launched in Tesco today. And they're doing the multicoloured uh, and a pound a bag because it gets kids eating food that they wouldn't normally want to eat. And to be honest with you, I'm probably one of millions who thinks carrots are the most boring things under the sun. I can't get excited over a carrot. Cooked, you know, cut, shaped, twizzled. I couldn't care less what you do with it. It's boring. You know, mushy carrots, I'm afraid to me, is tantamount to offering me Swede. And I think Swede is bad enough. I just hate Swede. I couldn't stand the smell of it. I can't stand the taste of it. Although I am eating some vegetables now that I wouldn't normally touch. So if they launch them, they're hoping that kids will, will go, oh, that's great, coloured vegetables. And they might eat, uh, might eat more. Might might eat more. They probably won't, actually. Anne in Peckham says, children don't have manners, as they're brought up by parents who weren't taught manners, so it's the blind leading the blind. The thumbs up in classrooms is ludicrous. Makes the child feel, you know, that he's sort of chummy with the teacher. Where is where is the respect? Next, high five. They probably do that in some schools, I should imagine. Give me high five. I saw it on a television programme for something. I forget what it was. It was somebody doing something. It's quite a normal thing. It wasn't a, a reality show or anything like that. Stephen Clapham, or Clam, says many US shows don't run for an hour per episode, whereas our ones usually do, which is why Channel 4 and 5 pad them out to fill the 60 minutes. But I don't think it matters about padding things out anymore. I don't think you need to worry about that kind of thing. And uh, another one here says, I crush my cat's pill with a spoon, mix it with a small lump of butter, and put it on top of chicken or tuna. Was this for the cat or for you? I can't believe it. Good luck, you're feeding the cat chicken and tuna. Just crushing it up and mixing it in with the food, the cat will eat it. Although our cat used to be wise to that. It would know something had been added and it would come over and then just turn away. And if cats don't, don't want to do it, they don't do it, do they? You know, I think I'm going to have another sleep. And so it goes back in the corner and goes, would you like this food here? No, not really, no, no. Uh, if, if, if I'm, we used to try and make it look interesting, because after a while, cat food sort of goes a bit dry. And so we'd have to fork it all over again and the cat would go... Well, I'll have a look at it, but I'm not promising anything. It sort of wanders over. And... No, I'm still not going to eat it, I'm afraid. And so, in the end, you used to think, I'll starve you out. And the cat would practically... By this time, it was practically sleeping 23 hours a day. You know, it could barely drag itself up to get to the food bowl. I'll have a little bit of water, but, I mean, don't, don't push me on anything like that. Uh, Neil the bailiff says, Apple have an appointment system. Want to buy the phone? Go online the evening before for an appointment in the store. Yes, they have all these people who can help you. I know that Darren, the gadget guru, who sort of pushed people into the right, they've said, well, I can't do this. He says, well, just book a session. It's free, and uh, somebody will sit down with you. But the trouble is, it's so busy in the stores, I, I couldn't concentrate. I find it very confusing. I get very stressed out in, in company. Not, you know, like normal company here, but like if there's loads of people. I mean, a tube train. If a tube train comes in and there's loads of people on it, I kind of wait for the next one, thinking it might be empty. And it's like buses. I don't want to get on a bus where there's lots of people all, all crowding on. Not my sort of thing at all. And uh, 19 minutes to seven is the time. The man whose son was killed during this summer's riots was among those honoured at the Pride of Britain Awards in London earlier. Tariq Jahan 
was given the Special Recognition Award after he appealed for calm just hours after his son was killed by a car while protecting shops in Birmingham from looters. The Labour leader, Ed Miliband, was at the awards. He told our showbiz reporter, Kevin Hughes, that Mr Jahan was just one of the unsung heroes of the riots. One of the things I said in my conference speech was that, you know, the riots brought out actually the best in Britain. There were people who did terrible things, but the vast majority of people... You know, I went to lots of the places where the riots happened, were totally against what happened, and they came out and helped clean up, uh, and they stood against the rioters and the looters. And, you know, we're going to see some of those people tonight, some of those exceptional people, and it's a really, really important thing to emphasise. Sorry? I've never used the phrase uh, broken Britain, because I don't like the phrase broken Britain. Because it suggests that somehow our country is broken and that our people are broken, and they're not. Our people are great people. That's what Pride of Britain shows. That's what I see every day I do this job and meet people like the people I met outside. Thank you. I think I would give it, if I think of people who've had influence on my life, I remember a head teacher who I sadly passed away called Mrs Jenkins. She was the head teacher of my school. She was incredibly tough. She took no nonsense. She taught my very disruptive class English at one point, but she was a brilliant teacher. And she'd be somebody, she'd be somebody who I would say was the pride of Britain. She's certainly the pride of Britain. She's certainly the pride of Britain. Nice to talk to you. There you go, the Labour leader, Ed Miliband, at the awards ceremony last night. No doubt Nick Ferrari will be talking about that a little bit later on because he was one of the privileged few. Lots of clapping, Kevin Hughes told me. Lots and lots of clapping, people, you know, enjoying it. And uh, and it was good. You know, it's well done. It's a night out on the town. People like dressing up. It's an opportunity for people to be photographed. Although, to be honest with you, I would rather see pictures of the people who are honoured than pictures of celebrities wearing expensive gowns. But that's just me because it's called the Pride of Britain Awards. It's not... It's not supposed to be a fair... I know how it works. I'm not stupid enough to not realise how the system works. But I'd like to see the people who, who were honoured, not pictures on the front of every paper of Cheryl Cole, for it, frankly. You know, it doesn't, doesn't really interest me that much. I'm more interested in a story in the, uh, in the paper today about a man who, for years and years, bombarded the Queen, Her Majesty, with, um, with letters and with, with obscenities and everything else. I mean, some of the letters ran to 600 pages, and he would write them and send, and he would send bits of passport. They've just found his body. Where do you think it was? It was on an island a 100 yards away from Buckingham Palace in St James's Park. There was a little island in the middle. I mean, it's literally to the uh, left-hand side of the uh, of the Vic- Victoria Memorial, which is there. His name is Robert Moore, 69. They reckon he's been dead for three years. They found his skeleton on the island because a tree surgeon went over there just to look at some trees and found this body. And they've now checked and they've said they think he's been, he's been dead. He must have waded out to the island and, and lived on it for ages and ages. He had a history of mental and alcohol problems. And they reckon that the, uh, the body, and it's just bones now, has been there for three and a half years. So nobody had been out to this island for any time at all. And I'm assuming there's all Canada geese and ducks and everything else. They found a, a bottle of uh, booze next to him. And he was literally 100 yards from Buckingham Palace, but he bombarded the Queen for donkey's years, for donkey's years, with sort of, you know, notes claiming that, you know, this letter contained a dangerous substance. And they, they just put it down to the fact that he was mad and, you know, the Queen's um, equerry deals with all these kind of things. But he's been there for three years, his head resting on a yellow cushion covered in mulch. His passport was in a pocket with a vodka bottle close by. 
Three and a half years? They obviously don't check these islands very often. I reckon they will now, don't you? Quarter to seven. With the news headlines, Holly Ford. Thanks, Steve. Amanda Knox is preparing to fly home to the... 7.3. Morning, everybody. I don't know if it's just me this morning, but it seems freezing cold. I know the temperature's dropped from yesterday's high of 29 to today. It's going to be about 2022. You will notice it, because first thing in the morning, it's a bit uh, chilly. And by the weekend, even though there are nasty people putting out rumours that it's going to be snowing... Of course, I'm, I might have to eat my words. It might, things might change later on in the week. I think we're going to be in for a bad winter, but it's noticeably getting colder and there'll be a little bit of rain, but uh, nothing too much to worry about. As I said before, the storms and the floods and everything else. So I'm always keeping my fingers crossed. Uh, Carol Sala's written a piece in the Mail today of something that we mentioned on the programme uh, before, and this is the age of people who are put on the X Factor. We've had lots of children's programmes. We've had Britain's Got Talent. I remember seeing a ten-year-old who got halfway through a song and then just burst into tears because it, it's an overwhelming situation and it's something that kids are not used to. And Carol Sala says that we've now seen two people, Luke Lucas... And uh, another girl called Holly Repton, who was given the boot after singing a heart out, and she was last seen in floods of tears clinging to a teddy bear. Now, I can't help feeling that that's almost staged, managed television. We've seen kids running riot. Um, all, these, all these kids are perfectly capable of standing on a stage and singing. We have stage schools for children. I don't believe... She thinks it's, it's a, a form of child abuse on the television. What they're making are television programmes. They're making television programmes, and we had a little girl who I think won America's, America's Got Talent, and I think she was only nine or ten, with the most amazing voice. She learnt to cope with it, even when... Perhaps they're, they're, they're brought up differently over there. But over here, you have to tell children the truth. If, if you can't sing, you can't sing. And that's why they tend not to put through too many children. They'll have a few who might make it. But what, what you can do with a a nine- or a ten-year-old now, I'm not really sure. I don't think that there's a place for in the business. It's a very tough business. It, that's why it makes me laugh. When you see them on the X Factor and we go to the judges' houses, or what purports to be the judges' houses, and they say, this is, this is great. I'm sure that some of them, seriously, think this is a career for the rest of their life. I think they think that they're, they're now going to be very famous, because what they've done is they, they've taken some people and they've said, well, not as a solo artist, but we're going to put you in a group. And because they're, they're so desperate to be somebody... Uh, they, they, they've agreed to going in the group. So they've gone into these groups. And to be honest with you, all they'll end up doing is being told what songs to sing. They won't, they won't be able to write any of their own material because the record company want to shift albums. So they'll do cover versions. There'll maybe be a song by Gary Barlow chucked in there and they'll use a posh record producer like Mr Ronson or somebody like that. And that is what will sell the album. The fact that it doesn't sound like them singing as in the case of One Direction, is neither here nor there. They, they aren't selling their singing, they're selling an image. I looked at a magazine, I, I walked past a shop the other day, and there was a One Direction magazine. Well, to say that it was a cheesy front cover would be an understatement. They were totally unrecognisable. They've got completely washed-out faces, the teeth have all been highlighted, you know, the hair, not... It's all so airbrushed, because you're selling an image. Makes no difference, really, whether these people can sing. Jedwood have managed to tour now for over a year. They can't sing for Toffee. But they've managed to tour with a stage show, and they jump up and down, and, and people think that they're, they're actually quite... They even represented Ireland for Eurovision. That, that's how sort of desperate the thing has got, and yet we know they couldn't sing because we heard them trying to sing on The X Factor. So I don't think The X Factor's guilty of child abuse. I think it's just guilty of trying to foist people who can't sing on an unsuspecting British public. I think we watch it, and I appreciate how beautifully it's crafted and beautifully put together. And I love it when they go... And, and then, I mean, the, the only abuse comes in the judge's house where they say... 
I've had to think long and hard about whether to put you through, and I'm sorry. And then the music builds, and you think, well, that's really cruel. They, they sort of drag it out. It's like, you know, the winning numbers of the lottery are. And then we stand there and wait. You might as well go off and bake a cake. And, the, and Gary Barlow said, and I'm really sorry. To t-. And you think, oh, and then this person bursts into tears that you've got to put up with me for another one. You think, this is, cru- this is mental cruelty. What they're doing is mental cruelty on this show. And we, it's like people stand there, you know, and the answer is, and the public have decided. And then I, I've sometimes been out, gone, gone to the toilet, made a cup of tea, come back, sat down, and still the music is playing underneath it. So that's the cruelty side of it. Actually putting a 16-year-old on the television I don't think is particularly cruel. It's this dragging it out where I'm really sorry to have to tell you that you're going to be coming to boot camp with me. And you go, I just want to get up and hit you, you know, because I don't think you should put people through that. And they go, I'm sorry, but you're going home now because we don't like you. OK, off you go. Bye-bye. Get, get, don't even turn round. I did a radio course at Vauxhall College, says Jack, in the 80s. Guess who was our guest speaker? Brian Hayes. <laughs> if the iPhone 5 sells well, Steve, we could get the headline, Cook Improves Apple Turnover. That's very clever. Cook improves apple turnip. Very good indeed. Uh, Lynn says, uh, I hated Swede, but my horror of horrors, butter beans. Oh, yuck, butter beans. Um, Steve, uh, Apple sells direct to the public. No middleman. Also, you can walk in, ask questions and play, and you don't feel pressure to buy. They know you'll be back as you feel you make the choice, not them pushing for sales. I understand that, Elaine. It's, it's, just, it's, it's just full of people playing with, you know, iPad touches and this and everything else. I love the people who go and play on the computers in shops and put in all sorts of passwords and stuff like that, which is good. Uh, Regarding the adverts in Downton Abbey, Steve, record and skip them over, says Jan. But I remember um, putting my hand up during an English lesson and saying, can I go to the toilet, please, sir? The teacher says, you can go to the toilet, but you may not. I spent a rather uncomfortable five minutes sitting there wriggling before I was saying, may I go to the toilet, please? See? It's just manners. That's all all it takes each and every time. Actually, talking of uh, manners, we did a short while ago for In Conversation, the boys from Westlife. They've got a new single out. They're filming at the moment in South Africa. And guess who's written it? Gary Barlow. This must be Gary Barlow's year. When you think his second album, the record company said, not really interested, not really interested. And he's bounced back. I think he's doing the X Factor... Uh, Christmas single. I think that's been done. So, with all this stuff that he's done for people, very clever. It's his time. I'm very glad. Very glad. Everybody has a creative period, and this is quite clearly Gary Barlow's very, very creative period. The other thing we didn't get round to talking about this morning, and I desperately wanted to, but for, uh, for, for time constraints, we didn't, is the NHS, who are introducing, and no doubt Nick will be talking about this later, the mandatory tests following uh, the death at the hands of GPs with poor language skills. These are GPs from overseas who don't speak English. Uh, apparently, at present, only doctors from outside the European Economic Area are routinely scrutinised for their language skills. That means doctors from Canada or Australia are routinely tested for their language skills, while people from countries such as Poland and France are not. And they're now saying that foreign doctors who cannot speak English are to be banned from working in their NHS hospitals. Well, that kind of makes perfect sense, doesn't it? What on earth would be the point of having somebody who didn't speak the language? It's like going to work in a hospital in, in I don't know, Germany or something like that, and you don't speak a word of German. You're not going to be much use to them, are you? I don't think. But no doubt that'll be something that people will be discussing later on. You'll also be discussing the podcasting. If you go to lbc.co.uk, 
UK. Just click on podcast and it'll tell you how to do it from as little as £2 a month. You don't really have to get up at the crack of dawn. You can enjoy the programmes. We'll take out all the, uh, the bits which aren't relevant to us later in the day and you just get the bare programme. So back with you tomorrow morning from five. Have a nice day. I'd take a jumper, actually. It's going to be one of those days. Nick and the team with you after the news at 7 on 97.3. First of all, the business update with Holly Ford. Thanks, Steve. The FTSE 100